You know, when we gather in this space and online, uh, we create kind of a sacred connection with one another. And I don't care whether you're watching this live online or whether you're watching this later on in the week, wherever you are, in the coffee shop, in your living room, in your computer room, wherever you are, is a sacred space. It's a space where you've come to meet God, a space that you've set aside, and it might be more of a time you've set aside. You have a hard time perhaps realizing or experiencing your living room as a sacred space. Uh, but everywhere that you are, with your intent to be present to God, is a space that is sacred. And so joining us online live or, in person, uh, live or uh, later in the week, those of you who are here in person, we are in a space that is sacred because God is here. And there's nowhere we can go where God isn't. But as we catch our breath, as we ground ourselves in this moment being here, I'm, I'm intentionally putting both of my feet flat on the floor right here because here I am. And as I do that, I hear the echo in my heart of my saying to God, here I am. I'm ready to listen. I'm ready to receive. I'm ready to hear. I'm ready to act. I'm ready to do in this moment what you ask of me. And so I want us to use this moment, whether we're catching our breath, uh, as I'm about to invite us to breathe. Hopefully you've been doing that, whether I told you to or not. Um, as we catch our breath, we come back to this moment with an intention. And that intention is to be present so God will do whatever God will do. Um, when I gather in this space, when I send this message out online, it is my intent and belief, God is here. And so I want to cultivate a readiness to receive whatever God gives me and uh, be willing to do with it what God hopes I will. So breathe in, breathe out, And as you're breathing, feel your lungs filling with air. And as you release it, try to release all the tensions and distractions that are coming in. And if you think about the pattern of breathing in and breathing out, it is every moment for us, our receiving this moment and releasing it to God. Receive and release every moment of our lives. Let us be together in this time. All of our summer uh, sermons have been in their own way leading up to uh, the next series I'm going to be preaching, which does not begin, I'm giving you a heads up, it does not begin until the weekend after Labor Day. And I will be doing an eight-week series 
on the parable, uh, not the parables, the eight-week series on the Beatitudes, one by one. About three years ago, uh, four years ago now, uh, throughout a summer process, we had different voices from our congregation, each one of them bringing a word about each of the uh, eight Beatitudes, uh, one by one, from Matthew chapter 5. Uh, and I, since I really have come to believe that the Beatitudes are the ground for our work together, the very essence of our faith, I want to revisit that series. Um, and uh, while I loved the disparate voices that did it four years ago, those disparate voices, many of which have moved on in a post-pandemic world, they're living in other places, they've gone other places, and all of that's perfectly fine. Um, but it means I will be the primary voice in this. So in preparation for that, one of the pieces that seems to me is the story I'm about to share with you today uh, from the Gospel of Luke. You know, I, I spent a fair portion of my childhood and early adulthood looking for a seat at the table, a place to belong. And as I looked for it, I noticed that people who belonged at the table, there were places of honor. Um, there were people that sat higher up on the table. We don't normally sit, for the most part, in round tables. We have long tables, and somebody's at the head, and everybody else is kind of uh, close to the person who's at the head of the table. And uh, in the society of Jesus' time, that would have meant uh, the closer you were to whoever the host was, the closer you were and the most honored you were. So I always thought that it would be wonderful to have an honored seat at the table. And you know, in my earliest uh, recollections of my years in ministry, that was always true. Uh, because back in the 80s when I first came into ministry, 1983 is when I began and was licensed. When people asked me over to, uh, that was the big deal back in those days. It was further south than here. Northern Virginia, this doesn't happen as much. But when I was invited over to a house, I was seated in a place of honor. They always gave me the food first. And oftentimes it wasn't enough if I had one helping of the food. They wanted to be sure that their love was portrayed to me by how much food went on my plate. As you might imagine, by the end of the 80s, I was a very large man, uh, topping out at about 218 pounds. So uh, that was, uh, you know, for me and my frame size, that was a lot. Uh, but it was because I got this honored space at the table, and I always thought that's what this was about. But then I began to realize that all the spaces at the table are worthy of honor, and that perhaps there was another way to look. And then I got kicked right between the eyes by a story Jesus tells uh, as relates to a, a dinner party he was invited to. So I'm looking together, we're looking together um, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, verse 1, which is just used to set the scene, 
And then we pick up with verse 7. So hear now the gospel of our Lord for this morning. One Sabbath, when Jesus came to eat a meal in the house of one of the leading Pharisees, the guests watched him closely. Jesus went on to address a parable to the guests, noticing how they were trying to get a place of honor at the table. When you're invited to a wedding party, don't sit in the place of honor in case someone more distinguished has been invited. Otherwise, the host might come in and say to you, make room for this person, and you would have to proceed shamefaced to the lower place. What you should do is go and sit in the lowest place so that when your hosts approach, they'll say, my friend, come up higher. This will win you the esteem of the other guests. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to the host, Whenever you give a lunch or dinner, don't invite your friends or colleagues or relatives or wealthy neighbors. They might invite you in return and thus repay you. No, when you have a reception, invite those who are poor or have a physical infirmity or are blind. You should be pleased that they can't repay you, for you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just." This is the gospel of our Lord for this morning. Praise be to God. Well, I don't know about you, but you know, I don't host a whole lot of dinner parties anymore. Uh, Linda and I've talked about it. We're, we're maybe gonna try to rectify that. Uh, back in my earliest days here at St. James, uh, Mark and Joy, sitting at the back table, remember coming to our house and having uh, chili with all of the fixings. This is a story we've told before, the story of how I would become uh, essentially uh, the host and pay attention to everyone while Linda was doing the hard work in the kitchen. Um, uh, that came to light, of course, when Linda told that story as a part of a sermon uh, that I heard her give and, of course, uh, it was absolutely true. I was completely oblivious to what was happening in the kitchen at that point. I had made the chili usually, but anything else I was done and I was in the living room hanging out. And we had these folks around our table and we would eat together and we would talk and we would engage in conversation and relationships were formed. Now, as I remember it, no one vied to sit closest to me or furthest away from me. And even though our table, uh, it's actually your table, it was, it, it's part of the parsonage furniture uh, in the house that we live in, uh, your table is rectangular and it's long and it can be made longer. Uh, and uh, the way it works in our family, Joshua and Linda sit at the heads of our table because we don't particularly pay attention to those things, and Hannah and I always sat across from each other on the side of the table. Hence, Linda was uh, at, the, at the seat of honor, and Joshua, I guess, was at the lowest end of the table. It just happened to be the way that it was. Uh, Joshua was the most honored member of the table, and Linda 
got the dregs at the far end because it was also closest to the kitchen. So if we needed something, she could get up and go get it for us. How was that, honey? Was that a better way of telling the story? Very good. Um, I tried to couch it differently, but you know, that's, it's all a matter of perception. It is all a matter of perception. But when we had folks at the table, there was never like, oh, we're going to sit closest to James, we're going to sit closest to the end. We just all sat down and began to engage. Now, there are a couple of things about this story that I read to you that I'd really like to have uh, us take a note of. First of all, even though in the Gospels we tend to make the Pharisees the bad guys, uh, for reasons we can't fully grasp because it's not in the text, Jesus has been invited to a Pharisee's house for dinner. Now we're told early on in the story that all the guests are watching Jesus. Now we skipped over the part of it where Jesus, it's a Sabbath meal and Jesus heals on the Sabbath. We skipped over that piece because that's not the focus for this week. But everybody's watching him, seeing what he's going to do. Now, the truth is, whenever any of us sit at the table with other folks, oftentimes those people look to us for cues about what's going to happen at the table, even if we're not the host. So if we sit silently as though no one else at the table counts, if we grab for whatever is on the table so we can get it to our plate the fastest, then we're making a statement. Other people are watching us much in the same way that they're watching Jesus. Now, they're doing it more suspiciously in the gospel here. They're waiting for Jesus to make a mistake that they can maybe call up. But the fact that they invited Jesus over is in itself an honor. So Jesus is invited to share the table with a Pharisee, which would not have happened to just anybody, any person. So Jesus is at the table, and they're looking at him. Now, knowing that other people are watching us at the table, and let's be honest, when we sit at the table, very few people probably are looking at us and saying, I wonder what James is going to do. You know, I wonder what James is going to do. I wonder what Mark's going to do, or Mark's going to do, or John's going to do. They're probably not asking that question. They are probably just eating their meal. But they'll notice if suddenly all of the food is on your plate and there's none left over for anyone. Linda and I uh, are uh, enjoying an, an Apple TV series called Trying. And every time this young couple who is trying to have a child, every time that they go to uh, some kind of gathering or event, the husband fills his plate. I mean, and when I say fills his plate, everyone else is, there might just be finger food and people are just walking by with small plates and just putting a few pieces on. This guy fills his plate up so that it's like overflowing. And he, people he's talking to have like a, a piece of bread or uh, uh, some hors d'oeuvre and he's got everything on his plate. So people have got to, it's, it's supposed to be comic, but the truth is, when people see that we're taking everything towards ourselves, wherever the table is, people also get a glimpse of us. Now, what if they also know that we purport to be people of faith? We follow after this Jesus guy. What does it say about us that we're trying to pull all the pieces to us 
and not sharing them around the table. We are being watched in a way, uh, meant to by our actions exemplify in the same way Jesus did what it looks like to be a person of faith. Each one of us is called in every given moment to be a person of faith because people may be watching. Now, I did a wonderful series years and years ago. I say wonderful. I preached it, so maybe it wasn't, but who knows. Uh, a series about character. And character really is how you behave when nobody's watching, not when somebody's watching, when you're trying to put on a show. But the truth is, we're called to live as people of character. Jesus went to a dinner at a Pharisee's house, which may or may not have been a tense moment for Jesus, but Jesus saw it as an opportunity, and he went and had a meal. You and I live our lives, and every moment is an opportunity to exemplify what it looks like to be people of faith, to be part of a community of faith. You know, St. James's mission as we've stated it, is to be bridge builders at the intersections of everyday life. Everywhere we are, we can build bridges. And Jesus built a bridge. We don't know what happened after he told this story, after he sat down and had a meal. We don't know if they tried to hunt him down immediately afterwards, if they you know, had a joke on his behalf after he went home. <laughs> Did you see how that Jesus behaved? He, be, he actually healed somebody at dinner. Didn't he know it was a Sabbath? What kind of a crazy guy is he? We don't know how they behaved, but he certainly set an example. He built a bridge for those Pharisees and the guests of the Pharisee. Now, you and I could do the same thing. The second thing I notice is this story he tells. He watches how everybody vies for a, the spot of honor. You know, trying to get to the top of the table, the top of the pile. You know, whoever dies with the most toys wins. At least that seems to be the game we play in the United States. When you die with the most toys, you're dead, and the toys go to somebody else. <laughs> You know, dying with the most toys is really the most empty dream you could possibly have. And yet it is one of the things that we purport to have as a dream, to die with the most toys. Jesus says, don't be rushing after all the honor. You know, it's, it's kind of cool to get to sit up in the front. Now, originally, we sat up in the front because the room was pretty full. And sitting on the stage... When we had a bigger worship center 15 years ago, I always just sat in the front row. There was no reason to sit up front. I didn't need to lord it over anybody. It wasn't just because I was the preacher that week didn't make me any more or any less important than anybody else. Then we started having a full house when we got a smaller worship center, and we started sitting on the stage because sitting on, uh, or in the chancel area, if you're into official churchy words, we sat up here to give room for more people to sit out there. That was the whole purpose of sitting up here, and it's kind of convenient. I only have to walk 10 feet instead of waiting to walk you know, 15, 20 feet and come up the stairs. It's easier to see me. Those kinds of things. It's one thing to be about convenience, and it's another thing to be about a place of honor. 
I don't know that sitting in that couch is any more honorable than any of the other places in here. But certainly I don't want to try to imply in any way that I'm worthy of any greater honor than all of you. In fact, I ought to be vying to sit as far back as I possibly can. You know, as out of the spotlight as possible. Because when we vie for the lowest place, it lifts up the other. You know, if you think about it as a stack, this is the highest place. And why do we think the highest is the best and the lowest is the worst? I don't know. But let's just imagine for a moment that we're going to buy into that stuff. The person who comes from the top and seeks to be at the bottom lifts up the bottom one a little bit higher. And imagine that the person who gets stuck at the top says, oh, no, I don't want to be up here, and comes down here and lifts it up. Now, three people, two people have been lifted higher by the fact that no one is vying to be better than anybody else, but is, in fact, seeking to lift everyone else by going straight for the lowest spot, for the spot of the servant, for the least honored space, trusting that God is the one who ultimately brings us honor. That ultimately the honor we get is what God will dish out to us, not what human beings acclaim us to be. Now, we forget that sometimes. I get to wear a cool black outfit every Sunday morning with St. James on the words, but it doesn't make me any cooler than the rest of you. It doesn't make me any less cool than the rest of you. It just means I have a place at the table, and this place happens to be to stand right here and talk a little bit about it for a moment. When Jesus invites us to be people of humility, he's not asking us to deflect every compliment that comes our way. If you've ever given me one, you'll find that I deflect them pretty quickly. That's not humility. That's issues of self-esteem that I have. Almost every time you compliment somebody who feels perfectly at home with themselves, their best response is thanks. Thank you. Thank you very much for noticing that, seeing that, for that word of compliment, whatever. But it's not humility to say, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not really that cool. It, that's not humility. In fact, sometimes it can be false humility because you want a person to say, oh, yes, you're amazing. Oh, no, 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 no. No, not just amazing, terrific. Oh, no, no, no. You're stupendous, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. You're all things. Sometimes humility becomes just a way to get a few more compliments out. From now on, I'm going to work on just being thankful for whatever positive comments come my way. Just being thankful and receive them as the gift that they are. And the same way I hope you will be. Humility not being about the compliments, not being about playing ourselves down, is really about recognizing that I'm at the table because it's a gift. I'm here because God invited me. Not because I did anything to deserve it. Not because I'm better than anybody else or worse than anybody else. 
different than anybody else. And I'm invited to the table because God's love is big enough to include me and you and everybody you could sit at the table with. And it's not about seeking the highest honor because it's honor enough to simply be at the table. And when we think it's all about who sits at the highest place in the table, we lose sight that all of us bring something unique to the table. Every one of us reflects the goodness and glory of God at the table. And because we do, because we do, I don't have to have everybody acclaim me for having the highest spot. You know, being lifted to the highest place. If I'm truly going to be a follower of Jesus, if I personally am going to truly be a follower of Jesus, I need to shoot for the lowest spot. I need to do everything I can to lift everyone else up. Because in so doing, it builds the community that we need. The community that recognizes every single one of you is infinitely precious and unconditionally loved. Just for the gift you already are. I am too. And most of the time I recognize and know that. But we're all meant to recognize that. Instead of focusing on who gets to the top and who gets to repay us, Jesus invites us to see one another as the gifts we are. Not asking who's going to repay us, who's going to else going to invite us to dinner, but to remember there is a place for everyone. And that giving of ourselves for no apparent reason other than we love God is enough of a reason. It's enough. Because love is not about tit for tat. It's not about an exchange uh, where I give you some so you'll give me some back. True love just flows to me and through me to someone else. From the one who loves me for reasons beyond my comprehension. Who gives us all a place at the table. Not so much because we deserve it, but because God loves us. There's a place for you. There's a place for me. And just knowing I have a place ought to be enough. Not needing to sit at the head of the table. So I guess from now on when we have dinner, I'm going to have to push Linda aside real quick so I get that spot that is apparently the lowest end of the table. I always thought it was the highest end. But, uh, uh, you know, push her out of the way so I can be down there and she can have my spot, which is actually closer to the kitchen now that I think about it. So why Linda has to be the one who goes and gets things. Uh, we'll work on it. We're a work in progress. I wanted to read to you a prayer of honoring humility. You know, I have sort of fallen in love with these uh, Prayers of Honoring Voice by Pixie Lighthorse. And I appreciate how she phrases things. And 
let this be a reflective moment for us about humility. This is honoring humility. And she begins by thanking God, the great spirit, our common humanity in this way. Thank you for this day of forgiving myself and others. Provide me with the wisdom to strengthen my ego. Open me to feedback about how my words and actions have landed. Help me self-correct. Let me admit my wrongs and make things right. Help me make the necessary amends while finding my natural gift for compassion and mercy. Let me be teachable. Help me care about the impact I have. Position me to honor the voices of others and let my two cents take a back seat now and again. Remind, thee, remind me that my loved ones are on their own journeys and that sometimes my words of advice aren't needed. Help me to know when to serve others with what I've learned and when to let them find their own way. Let me remember that listening is a gift I give to myself and to give it freely. Help me put down my distractions as a show of support. Help me wait for my turn. Inspire me with your tiny ants, gray wrens, and unmajestic uh, peahens, those who command attention modestly. Remind me of the powerful messages from those with quiet plumage. Show me elegance where there is no grandiose display. Remind me that there are times to make my presence known and times to pass the talking stick. Teach me to be simple in the presence of divine opportunity in unexpected forms. A child who asks a million questions a friend working through a dilemma the hard way, a new parent struggling with unforeseen limitations, or a social issue in need of mobilization. Give me the ability to listen for the call to action, to accept, be grateful, warm, and welcoming of new intelligence. Instill in me the usefulness of not always knowing the answers. Help me be an unpretentious learner. Give me the willingness to be vulnerable in a seeking state. Offer me the courage to approach those who might have a map to direct me. Let me never possess all I need to know. Bless my quest to listen. Bless my quest as I do listen, learn, and grow my faith in all you're doing and in all of life's processes. I invite you and myself to look around, and not just this morning, not wherever you are at home, but throughout the week. And if you're out and about, 
Notice, are you listening to the person who's serving you if you happen to be at a fast food restaurant or a sit down restaurant? Are you listening to the, uh, are you listening to the cashier who's talking to you? Are you just looking for a way to get through the line as quickly as possible? Are you injecting your own personal stuff instead of listening? Maybe it's that person you're sitting next to on the bus or the person you're taking a walk with or the child who asks a thousand questions. I identify with that one. And for each answer, there is a new question. With my children, it almost, but why? <laughs> but, but why? No matter how many times you answered the question, it was, but why? Because that's just the way the universe is. Uh, you know, it, it, it's endless. But I challenge us all to recognize everyone's got a gift to give us. If we just slow down long enough to listen to what they have to say, to look them in the face and let them know that their eyes matter as much as ours. Their words and the shape of who they are matter as much as we do. We get the opportunity every moment of our lives to be God's people who welcome everybody else to the same table. We're going to pray now. We begin in a moment of silent prayer. Uh, I'll pray aloud for us, and then we'll pray the Lord's Prayer. A version of it will be on the screen behind me. Please pray whatever version you want, uh, in whatever language you want. God hears it all. So let's enter into a moment of silence, of listening for God's deep voice within uh, as we begin our time of prayer. Gracious and loving God, eternal, all-vulnerable God, you have come into our midst this day and in moments past in the story of our faith in the person of Jesus, the person of Jesus who embodied what humility looks like. He never made it about him. We have. He always made it about you. He always made it about stopping long enough to talk to the other, to sit at a place at anybody's table that invited him, whether they were self-styled sinners or the self-styled religious elite. Jesus sat with all who welcomed him. Help us, O oh God, to see in him that model of humility that we're meant to follow, not thinking less of ourselves, but instead perhaps focusing on the other. Help us to draw together around a table that strengthens us all, that recognizes the gift of all people who could come, regardless of any outward signs 
that we might choose to measure the type of clothing they're wearing, the color of their skin, their nationality, their, uh, their type of headdress, their gender, their sexuality, or anything that might divide us. Help us to recognize a place at the table for Democrats and Republicans and anarchists and everyone else. Because it's your table, it's not ours. Help us, oh God, to stop demonizing each other. Help us instead to learn to listen to each other from a place of humility and trust that what we need to hear might be heard. And those things that come to us that are instead hurtful, we can dismiss and push away. God, help us to honor you by honoring one another. And thank you for the gift of your son and his humility. And it's, his, it's, it's in his name we now pray together a prayer he modeled for us, saying, Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen.